What I'd like to talk about today is to examine the different opinions of the Aracha and the understanding of Shekin the Nunah. We know that even though the mitzvah the Raisa is to pick up the Abraminim on the Tiras Lulav, once a person has held all four minim together, he's been yet to his mitzvah. But we have a din, the Rabbanan as well, of shaking the ruler. Anoim. And here we're going to see there are a number of differences in the post game. What does it mean to shake the ruler? When do we shake the ruler? How do we shake the ruler? What direction is the ruler in? What about the person? So let's learn this very interesting get together. The Gemara says that when one shakes the Lulav, he needs to shake it in all six directions, which means the four directions around him, up and down, above him and beneath him. And the reason for that, we find there's a difference between what the Gemara says and what the Zayar says. The Gemara says that the reason we shake the Abraminim to the four sides around us is to be moinea, to prevent Ruchesras. And the reason we shake the Lulav upwards and downwards is to prevent Tzlalim Rhyme. Which means the point of the Lulav, so to speak, is to build a protective wall around the person, to ward off, as it were. These ruches ras, these whatever harmful elements or influence the people in the sides, from above and from below. However, the czar explains differently, and the czar explains that the points of shaking the aluminium in all the different directions is in order to bring to oneself bracha from all the different sides. In other words, if there are different aspects of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's bracha, so we shake the love in each direction to, so to speak, bring in towards ourselves that bracha. We're going to see it's not just a difference of understanding, there's also practical differences which emerge from this bachlaikas. Now, the next point we're going to discuss is, we said what the reasons why we shake the next question is going to be what does it mean to shake because if you'll notice a lot of people understand the idea of shaking means rattling the lulav in other words the motion of the wrist which causes the leaves of the lulav so to speak to vibrate against each other and now it would be the way one shakes the lulav that seems to be how the shulchan aruch also holds because he passes in the Simon Tafresh and Nod of Siftes, that the Neinua, which means shaking, is Shemoylech Yodem Yifinegdoi, Vahala, he moves the little of the four minim away from him, Vayananeya Sham, Shalish Pa'amim, Vahalacha, Vishalish Pa'amim Bava. He moves the little away and as it's way away from him, he shakes it three times, and he shakes it three times. And when he brings it back towards himself again. So the Shaykh Larach understands that there's a point of like moving the Lulav away from oneself in each direction and bring it back towards him again. 
But the Nyanu, the shaking is making the Lulav shake while he's doing that. And therefore, we're talking about Nyanu, we're already talking about the shaking of the Arabic. In other words, causing the leaves to vibrate. However, we're going to see that the other post scheme, as well as the Arizal, didn't understand that's what Nanua means. That's not the way one shakes the Lulav. Firstly, we have the Ramah. And the Ramah understood that the idea of Nanua means the motion of distancing the Lulav from oneself and then bringing it back towards himself again. And therefore, according to the Ramah, the Nanua, which has been three times, is three times when it moves the Lulav out and brings it back in. So the, the shaking motion of the Lulav doesn't necessarily mean, like the Shukhanak understood, the, to vibrate the Lulav. Or, uh, or like a short, sharp motion which moves either room together that's carrying the river away from it and back on itself again. The Mishnah Bura brings down that even according to the Ramah, there is still a benefit to making the leaves of the Lulav rustle while one moves it, but the concept of Nanua is the moving of the Lulav as opposed to shaking of the Lulav. And now we come to our first fascinating this argument, and that is if the points of Nanuim, or the way one does Nanuim, is by moving the Lulav away from oneself and back towards oneself again. So let's ask a question which I wonder if anybody ever thought about the difference. And that is, is the primary point of the Nanuah, the primary point is moving the Lulav away from oneself. In other words, one's moving it outwards, and then he only pulls it back in again to move it out a second time. Or is the primary point of the Nanuah bringing it towards oneself? In which case, he only moves it out in order to put it back. In other words, even though everybody is agreeing that Nanuim means the motion of of putting the Lulav away from itself and bringing it back towards itself again, what's the Ikha and what's just there to facilitate one's ability to do the Nanuim the second time? And it seems that this is a, included in the Nechlekes you mentioned before. The Nechlekes between the Gemara and the Ariza and the Zayah. And that is according to the Gemara that the point of Nanuim is to ward off whatever evil forces there would be to prevent them coming towards the person. So the Ikka Nanua is the motion outwards. That's what's building this protective wall around the person. Whereas according to the Ariza, being as the point of the Nanuim of the Arab Minim is to bring the Brachat into oneself. From the outside, then if that's the case, the Ikka motion is the motion of putting the Lulav back. P- pushing it outwards is only in order to put it back three times. And indeed, the result says this. The result says that when one does the Nanoim, the important point is that on its return towards oneself, one brings the Lulav, at least the tip of the Lulav, the base of it, to touch one's chest. Akira is bringing the Lulav into his heart. And then again, that's his opinion, that the point of the Nanoim is to symbolize us bringing the Bracha inside ourselves. Inside ourselves. That's the symbolic difference between the two. According to the Halakha, we don't find that one has to bring the Ruf to touch oneself. The Ekin is an outward, inward motion, but not that it has to get as far as touching the person when it comes in. That's the first discussion. And that is, what does shaking the Lulav mean? 
What does Shaykh Nelav mean? It doesn't mean to wrestle the Nelav like or to bring it inwards and outwards like the rest of the Pesachim line. And if one does bring it inwards and outwards, so it is it just a motion of bringing it back inwards to push it out again, or is it the other way around? Is the primary point bring it inwards to, in which case bring it, the person should bring it to touch himself because that's the Ica symbolism of the shaking. Either way around, the consensus of everybody is that a person who push, who as he takes it out in three, and does, pushes it out in three increments, as if he pushes away from his side, then a bit more, then a bit more, and the way back, and he's in three steps, like pulling it back one time, wouldn't satisfy either of these opinions. When they understood it's three times, it means it's three times the motion of out and in. So that's our first discussion. And that is, what does Nanu mean? What does it mean to shake the back? The next discussion we're going to have, and this is also something which is very interesting, we find different opinions about, and that is, what is the order one's meant to shake? Because while both the Gemara and the Zayar agree that the Lulav has to be moved in all six directions, which means all the four sides of the person above him and below him, what's the order of which one comes first? So Shulchan Aruch Paskin is based on the principle of Halacha. And whenever a person has to do something in different sides, he always starts from in front of him and turns to the right. And if that's the case, the order which is brought in Shulchan Aruch for the Nanuim is that a person first shakes facing forward, and then he turns to his right and his right and his right in a circle, and he shakes in each direction. And when he's completed the revolution, and then he shakes up and he shakes down. That's the opinion of Shulchan Aruch, and that's the opinion which is followed by definitely most um, Ashkenazic Kehilas. But then we have a different order given to us by the Arizal. And the reason why the Arizal has a different order is again, according to his understanding, that Shaykh Nalulav is bringing Baracha inside the person from all the sides around him. So what that really means is the sides around the person represents different mirrors of Hashem. The different directions represent different mirrors from Hashem. And if that's the case, we're bringing bracha towards ourselves from each side. From each side. And if that's the case, the symbolism, according to the result of the order one shakes, is an order of the midas as we connect to them and access them and bring them into ourselves. And if that's the case, the same framework you always have of which direction is represented by each middah will be the same by the Abhavinim too. We start at the, at the beginning and we go in the order of the different middahs as we bring the bracha into, inside ourselves. What is that order? And so even though it's fascinating to note that there's actually makhloikas and makhronim what the result meant, what his order is, if one opens up the shark of one the result, he makes it completely clear. He explains exactly what to do. It's hard to understand how there could have been a makhlaikas about the opinion of the Arizal. But the, before we explain what the Arizal's order is, there's one important point to note. And that is that whereas, according to the Shulchan Aruch, one begins in whichever direction he's facing. So depending on where the shul that is damning is located, and therefore if he's facing forwards, 
that might be south, it might be north, it might be east or west. That's always the first direction. And then afterwards, the person, as we saw, the Shekhanarach holds, goes in a circle towards the right. However, according to the Arizal, it doesn't make a difference which way the person is facing. It makes a difference in the directions of the world. Because the directions, as absolute directions, each one, each one represents a different middle. And therefore, according to the Arizal, the order is going to be we first check towards the south, then towards the north, then towards the east, then up, and then down, and then towards the west. And the reason for that is because that's the symbolism of the spheres always, when the, the south represents Chesed, and the north represents Kvura, and the east represents Tiferes, and up and down represents Netzach and Hoyt, and the west represents Miyusait. And therefore the order of the shaking would be in the order of the midrash that a person is trying to receive bracha from and bring inside oneself. Now many of the Sephardic midrash, as they normally are known to follow the Mihagam of the Rizal, some of the Chassim do this as well. If that's the case, we have different Mihagam of the order how to shake. And now the question is going to be, if a person is davening in a community where the Minag is to shake differently to himself, so, what's he meant to do? In other words, it's a question in two directions. Firstly, is he allowed to shake the way he normally does in a tzibur where everyone else is shaking differently? And number two, if he shakes like the tzibur, which is different to his minag, is he still being yetzer? So let's deal with the second question first. And that is, if a person shakes the aluminium in an order which is different to how he normally shakes, is he yetzer? And the answer is definitely yes. Because everybody agrees that the Chiyov is to shake the Arab in all the different directions. And he's done that. It's only a question of which order to go about doing it. And the order isn't going to be Ma'akib. And therefore, if a person shakes the way that the entire Tzibur shakes, there's no problem, even if it's not his own Minak, because definitely it's because the Mason, he has taken the Urav and shaken it in all six directions. But now the first part of the question and that is, is a person allowed to shake in, in accordance with his own custom in a tzibur where everyone else is doing the opposite? Now, obviously, in a case where the tzibur is made up of a group of individuals doing, in, groups of individuals doing each of these different minagim, then they would wouldn't apply. Because then there isn't a certain minag of the tzibur, everybody shakes differently in their own way. If that's the case, we can't say that one minag is kaveh. And even though we normally say we don't want to have a situation where within one community people are doing different things, a principle we call don't make yourself into separate groups within a greater whole. And that the Gemara already says that in the case where it's known that the two different opinions, it's not, it doesn't look like sectionism if we separating ourselves into small groups if we know the two opinions and each each faction is following a certain opinion. So here also we are we know the two opinions about the order of the shaking of the Arabinium and therefore in a in a community or in a minion where there isn't a set custom or a place where there isn't a set minion. For example a person will go to the coastal and a number of people come together to Daven, so we can't say that there's a set minion for that Zibur, then each group can do like their own custom. The question is, if there is a set, I mean, how can everybody is doing it the same? Is one person allowed to be different? 
And here we see it's a question of is a person allowed to do something different to the Tiba? And here the Boiskim will bring down that one's not meant to do that, one's meant to shake the same way the Tiba shakes. And even though one could think, and that is that while everybody else is doing their own Anuim, people aren't looking at each other to see what they're doing. Nevertheless, since it does look like everyone's doing Barabim, everyone's shaking one direction, or you're shaking a different direction, so it does look somewhat Bepharhesia, therefore one shouldn't shake in Shul in a way different to the meaning of how the Shul shakes. They say about the stapler, even though he himself was definitely very far from being Hasidish, but the town that he grew up in, Hornstaple, was a Hasidish town, and therefore the minag there was to shake in the order of the Ariza. The stapler in his later years, when he used to take aluminium with a brach in his home before going to Shul, would shake in the order of the Ariza. That was his family custom. But when he went to Shul, which Lederman, which is a regular Ashkenaz Nusach, so he would shake in the order of the Tibur. And therefore, when is allowed to shake different to his custom if that's what the tibur is doing. This applies to any spiral, anyone doubling the shul, and kalvachem to the chazan. When it comes to the chazan, so since everybody's watching him shake because he shakes before everybody else, so for sure he has to keep to the minute of the shul. There's a very interesting halacha brought down in the Akhrani. We know that the halacha is that a person takes the lulav in his right hand and the esrog in his left. And the reason for that is because a person's right hand is normally his more prominent hand, his stronger hand, and therefore it's more roy that he takes the lulav, which incorporates three mitzvahs, the lulav, the hadas, and the arava in his right hand, and the esrog, which is only one mitzvah, in his left. If a person is left handed, the Shulchan Aruch says, he should do it the other way around. Since by him the dominant hand is his left hand, so he should take the lulav, the adasim, and the in his left hand, and, should, and the esrog in his right. But the poets can bring down, at least some poets can bring down, that if the chazan is left-handed, so then he should take the lulav in his right hand, even though it's his weaker hand, because since that's what most of the tibur is doing, it would look different to see a chazan acting differently to the tibur. I'm not saying that's the unanimous psak, it's the machlaikas, it's just coming to show the importance of taking the lulav in a way which is in keeping with the minag of the tibur. Okay, so we've discussed that for two points. We've discussed what it means to shake the lulav, and we've discussed the order of directions in which one shakes the lulav. Now let's get to our third discussion. And that is, what's the position of the lulav when one shakes it? In other words, you have two options. Option number one is the lulav is always standing straight and the person's wrist is always holding it facing directly up and shaking in different directions means the person turns to each direction and moves the lulav outwards and inwards but always when it's facing directly up. And that's the case, shaking the lulav down would mean that a person lowers his hand towards the ground and brings it back up again but he never changes the position of his wrist and therefore the other minimum are always in the same position. The second opinion is that one points the lulav in the direction that he's facing. And if one's shaking forwards, he'll point the lulav forwards. He turns to the side and he's now shaking to that side. He t- he, uh, he'll angle the lulav towards that side. 
and therefore the fear that's opinion when he wants to shake upwards he has to point the river when he wants to shake down he has to turn the river and face it towards the ground and shake it down this is the discussion brought here in the Ramah the Ramah brings when it comes to shaking down what's he meant to do is he meant to turn the river angle it down and shake towards the ground where the point of the river is facing down or is he meant to keep the facing up and just lower his hands and bring them back towards himself again the Ramah's own uh, decision is that we know to point love down and to shake facing down. As you're going to see, the consensus of Achronim is not like that. The Mishaburi Paskans, that one is not meant to turn the facing down, one's unlike the Ramah, one's meant to hold it the way it always is facing up and just lower his hands with the river. What's the argument based on? So, firstly, when it comes to the question of pointing the lulav down, the question is that there's a din about the aluminium, and they have to be taken the right way around. Facing, the, in other words, berach delasan, and just like plants grow upwards from their base to their tip, it's the same thing, the aluminium have to be held in the same way, that the base of the, the min is down, and it rises to the top of the min, the min which is facing upwards. And that's why it's brought in the locha, that if one wants to take the aluminium, and then make the bracha. So since the din is that bracha has to be made before one does the mitzvah, and by picking up the aluminium, one's already done the mitzvah, one of the options brought in the Shulchanarach is that one can hold the esrach upside down. And by holding the esrach upside down, which means the pitam facing down and the, the stalk of the esrach facing up, then in a case like that, one's not yet to the mitzvah, even though he's holding the esrach, because he's not holding it in the right direction. And therefore the Shulchanarach says one should make the bracha, and then afterwards, Rotate the esrog, and that's facing up, and then he's yotze the mitzvah of taking the aluminium because they're all now in the right direction. Another example of the salacha is brought down that when a person they used to sell hadasim like a pack of three hadasim, when a person buys his bundle of hadasim, he should first untie the pack before he puts them into the rulav and check that all three branches of hadasim are facing the right direction. Because it seems that it happened sometimes when they were packaging Hadassim, that some of them were upside down, and as long as the, whoever was in the packaging counted three, he put them together and sold them. And therefore the buyer would just put the whole bundle into his lulav, may not realize that one of the Hadassim is now facing the wrong direction, which means the base is in his hand and the end of the, where it was cut, the stalk, is facing upwards. And therefore the mission says the person always has to untie the Hadassim, and then can check that all three of them are facing the right direction. Okay, so that's the principle of Derech Tadasa. And now comes the question. And that is that if the, the Ayurveda have to be taken all facing upwards, then when it comes to pointing down what the Ramah wants to do, now the, all the Ayurveda are facing down. If that's the case, that shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to yet say in shaking with the Ayurveda in the wrong position. When it's not as dramatic a question, one could also ask that if one shakes facing towards each direction as he passes that, in other words, he angles the lunar that is facing in front of him and to the side of him, then if that's the case, then it's also that it's not direct loss, it's not facing upwards, that's facing sideways. So the Taz 
when he discusses the first point, and then what talks about the person lives down, angling it towards the ground, and he asks the question, his answer is that since he's already been yoked to the mitzvah of taking over with him facing upwards, and he's only shaking it down in order to maintain the mitzvah of nanuim, uh, shaking it in each direction, including down, so therefore it's not a problem if it's not there to loss If now it's pointed down, it's not the right direction. There's also another answer that the post can give, and this is the more interesting answer. So let's preface it with a, a, just an understanding. Derek de Lassen means that the aluminium are the way they grew from the ground. And if that's the case, let's compare the person's hand who's holding the aluminium to the ground, from which the aluminium are coming. And therefore, Derek de Lassen means that from where the person's holding the base of each min, and the min, so to speak, rises from there. And if that's the case, so it doesn't make a difference whether the lulav is facing upwards, sideways, or downwards. What makes a difference is in relation to the person's hand who's holding it. And if he's holding the base of each min, and the min then rises away from his hand, towards the, the top leaves of each one of them, that's considered derechtelose. And even if his hand will be pointed to the side or downwards, the lemais is still derechtelose because the base of each min is in his hand. Not derechtelose means they be holding the love by the tip. In other words, he's holding the end of the love and then the base of the love is in the air, or he's putting the dasim upside down. And if he's holding the tips of the leaves, the tips of the branches, and the bottom of the branch is facing away from him. So therefore, even if a person is angling the love down, that would still be called directly because it's still the base of the love in his hands and the tip of the love away from him. That's according to this opinion, there be a very practical problem, a difference. And there, as we said previously, that when one makes the bracha and doesn't want to be yet before that, one of the aces is to turn the esrog the wrong way around. That doesn't mean that he's holding the esrog in his hands where he would normally hold the esrog with the pitum facing up. Just he's rotated his wrist. So now the pitum is facing down and the oikut is facing up. And all he does after making the bracha is to rotate his wrist back again. Because according to this opinion, is if he's holding the esrog the way it's meant to be held, so then whether the pitum is facing towards the ceiling or towards the floor. And therefore, that would have to explain, and what the Shulchan Aruch meant, one has to take the esrog the wrong way around, would mean that a person holds the esrog the wrong way around. And now, when he wants to afterwards be Mekayim the Mitzvah, having made the bracha, he has not, that's not that he's rotating his wrist, he has to rotate the esrog. So he'll be holding the esrog by the oikets with the pitum facing down, and now afterwards he has to turn around the esrog in his hand, so he's holding it at the base of the esrog with the pitum facing up. Okay, so that's the opinion of the Ramah. As we said previously, in the Ramah holds the person is meant to angle the, the lulav towards the ground, but the consensus of Paiskin is not like that. He's meant to hold the esrog, the lulav facing upwards, and just lower it towards the ground. According to that result, for sure it's clear that you always have to hold the lulav completely straight, and one just shakes in different directions. The reason for the Makhlaikas, we can go back to what we said at the beginning. And there is a Paiskim who holds like the Gemara that the idea of shaking the, the lulav is to hold back 
so to speak, Ruchas Ras, harmful spiritual forces from all the different sides, so then it could be for that, on Sumbaraz, that by pointing the Lurav in that direction and pushing it away from oneself, a kilo as one would use a sword or a spear to distance the Ruchas Ras. Whereas, according to the result, the idea of doing the Nanoim is to symbolize the Brach which Hashem sends from each side, so then that's uh, coming, we bring it in, inside ourselves, towards ourselves. If that's the case, the straight linner is a symbol of the tinner, of the conduit, of the shepherd, which comes down from Hashem. And it doesn't mean the bracha is coming from the side. The bracha always comes from Hashem. It's just coming from Hashem via different mirrors which we represent by different sides. And therefore, according to we always hold our linner completely straight, because it's always a symbol as the shepherd, the bracha, which Hashem is sending us from above, coming to us from through the through if one wants the agency of each of the different minutes. What's the opinion of the Shulchan Aruch? That's what we're going to see next. So we have discussed how to shake, the order to shake, and the position of the Lord when shaking. The next thing I want to talk about is what's the position of the person when shaking. In other words, there's two options. Let's talk about the Shulchan Aruch's opinion first, that one shakes the Lord in each of the four directions. In a circle. Does that mean that the person also goes around in a circle and is always facing forward the direction that he's shaking? Or the person always stays facing forward and it's just he's moving the little bit in each direction? And if that's the case, if a person would be shaking towards his side, he would have to like, turn the little sideways. If he's shaking behind him and he's not moving, then he'd have to angle the little over his shoulder, so to speak and then uh, bring it back towards himself again. So the Shulchan Aruch, when he talks about it, he talks about being matted the rosh of the lulav in each direction. And, and he stands still. It's just a question of the position of the lulav when he shakes it. Now, let's think about this a second. That means when a person is standing facing forward, you can, you can pull the lulav forwards and backwards in front of him. He then wants to shake it to the side, so he's staying in the same place, he, towards the side, he pulls the little forward and backwards. When it gets to shaking behind him, so he's going to have to bend the little to point it backwards and bring it towards him again, because to hold it completely straight and be able to shake backwards would require a certain feat of gymnastics how to do that. And therefore it's clear that the Shulchan Aruch understood that when one shakes in different directions, in his lashon, to be matted the rosh of he angles the little in that direction. Is that a per- doesn't hold the person always has to hold the little completely straight, but has to angle the little in the direction that he wants to shake it. However, if you hold like the opinion that the little always has to be held completely straight, like that result said for example, then the only way to shake in the direction behind him is to turn around and shake in that direction, because that way he can hold the little as still being straight. And therefore, they become two customs that those who stand still and shake the little in each direction, and then those who turn around and shake the little facing forwards always, but they're turning towards the direction that they're facing, the, that they're facing um, in order to shake. According to that result, according to those opinions that the little always has to be held straight, it would make much more sense to turn around as well, because that's the easiest way to hold the little always straight. Now, once again, as before, if a person says one minute and his shul would have a different minute, 
So here too, it's not a shayla of not being a tzay, with an exception of shaking down when it's mechalik sapoiskim, and the consensus is when it's not meant to end on the little bit down, or it's meant to just lower his hands. But besides that, it's no question if a person's yotze or not, at the end of the day he's shaking the little bit in every direction. And uh, therefore, once again, we're showing the difference to a shul which has a, a custom al sadina of not being different to the tzibur. Okay, so so far we've spoken about the halachas of manu, the halacha of what it means to shake, the halacha of how one shakes, the direction of one shakes, the position of the nulah, and the position of the person. There's one last thing which is brought down, which is very obvious, the very Yaakov says, and then it's obviously one shaking the nulah, one has to be careful not to drive the tip of the nulah into anything around him, whether it's the ceiling that he's shaking up, or something on the side of him, or the person sitting next to him in the shul will be shaking towards the sun. And the practical reason for that is that you would you could potentially ruin the lula. If as a result he snaps off the top of the lula or he gets the top leaf to split, then it make might render the lula possible. The result also brings the shark of honest. The same idea, a person has to be careful not to knock the tip of the lula into anything. But he brings it for more ruchnistic reasons, that's meant to represent the point from which a chef has come in towards a person, and therefore it's meant to always be, so to speak, left open. Okay, now we have a few more minutes, let's discuss a little bit the symbolism of the Arbami. And why we do this Dafkan Sukkot in the midst of shaking the Arbami? And why these Arbami? So let's look at, as an explanation to the Torah of the Arizal, who explains that the reason for the Nanaim is to bring the bracha inside oneself. Even though we saw differences in Halacha, it doesn't mean that we're going to have one Kabbalah. In other words, if we saw that according to the opinion of the Gemara, that the point of the meaning is to ward off negative forces, and therefore the Ica, the Ica part of the shaking is driving the love outwards, and according to the Arizal, the ego point is to bring the bracha in, into oneself, and therefore the main thrust is backwards into, towards oneself. You could shake the love outwards of the kavana of the kavana, and bring the love back towards yourself with the kavana of desire. Okay, so let's look at the inside of the Arizal. One, and before that, let's talk about one last halacha, which there is a point there. But we can see that that was the Minag, which is mentioned, by the way, by the first of the And that is, Nanuin means when shaking the roof, not just that a person shakes in each direction, but the Minag was of Nanuin to shake three times in each direction. And therefore, a person shakes forwards three times, and then to each side three times, a total of 18 Nanuin in whole, because there's six directions, the four sides are upwards and downwards, and each time a person shakes three times. And I know there's maybe 18 different motions. Yeah, what's the significance? We'll see soon. So, when explaining the concept of Manu, the Arizal says that we know that the Avodah of Sukkot is a continuation to the Avodah of Rosh Hashanah And the reason why he explains it is like this. The the way that a person makes himself able to receive bracha from Hashem has two compartments to it. 
The first one is a person has to enable, ready himself to receive brach. What we say in different words, the person has to make himself a kibbutz, that he has the ability to accept, to receive. And the reason for this is, is because the side always is that HaKadosh Baruch from his point of view, is always willing to give brach. There's no limitation from Hashem's ability or his want to give to us. And therefore, what defines how much bracha a person gets? So the Kabbalah always teaches us, the amount of bracha a person gets is limited by the amount of bracha a person is able to absorb, is able to contain. HaKadosh Baruch can't give more than the person is able to, to, to receive. If you want, want to marshal of this, which is actually brought down in the Poishim, in the Poishim, Imagine, let's say, Bipurim, for example, and a person's offering free wine to whoever comes to his door. There's a big barrel and he's dispensing wine. So one person comes to the door with a large jug, and the second one comes with a shark glass. So the one that comes with the jug gets a jug full. The one that comes with the shark glass, the shark glass gets a tiny amount. And if that second person will now complain and say, it's not fair, how come the person ahead of me got an entire jug and I just got a tiny lachai? The answer would be, well, that's what you brought. There would be no point pouring the quantity of wine of a jug into a shakta, so it was ruined. And this is used as the marshal always for HaKadosh Baruch bracha. Hashem is willing to give. The only question is, inside the person who is receiving. How much should he prepare himself in order to receive? And, therefore, when it comes to when it comes to the Avoidah of Chodesh Tishrei, so we know that there's two different parts to it. The first part of our Avoidah, the Avoidah of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, is the Avoidah of the Avoidah of building the Kli to receive. Why it's like that and how that fits into the mitzvahs of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is not we're just talking about now, but that's what the Kabbalah explains, that the Avoidah of, of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is to be to build the key that therefore a person is able to receive. Once we've done that, we've completed the key in the ill is the chasimah, like the, the, so to speak, making the key something which is a finished, complete item. Then we begin the avoidah of being, filling that key with bracha. And the idea of the nanuim is exactly this idea. We, check that we bring it towards ourselves from every direction, which is meant to symbolize the bracha which we are now channeling in, into ourselves, into the kli we've brought. Which is why the symbolism of the Arba Minim is connected in different organs of the body, connected different sections of Klai Yisrael. The idea is that both in the personal and the national level, we're using the Arba Minim as to show that we bring the bracha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and using it to fill ourselves, inside ourselves. And therefore, by, in each direction, we're bringing down a concept of that bracha towards us. That's the overall understanding of what the midst of Nanunim is. And why we have to do that during Halal? Because we're going to see the primary middah that a person needs in order to access HaKadosh Baruch Hu's bracha is the middah of Simcha. As a matter of simcha, through happiness, that's what causes that flow of bracha to enter a person. This is also the symbolism of a different aspect of circus, which isn't our discussion right now. 
And that's the idea of the Simchus Pesachayva, which can also be a concept of bringing, causing the water to flow, which the water is always a symbol of Prachat too. And I was not laughing with Simcha. They used to celebrate the water because through Simcha, that's what brings the Shefa towards us. And then for that, can hello, that's when you do the Nanuim, because then the Torah Simcha, that's what brings that flow of Prachat towards us. And now we come to the last. Argument we're going to talk about today between what's brought in the halacha and what's brought to the Ariza, and that is when does a person shake? Because what the Mishnah says is that you should shake by Hodel Hashem Kitayv at the beginning and the end, and the Allah Hashem Shema. The Ashkenazi is that means every time we say Hodel. And every time we say Anna Shamashena. And therefore, for the Tibur, who say the four responsibly Hydu to the first four Psukim of Hydu, Yemen and Yisrael, Yemen of Aaron, Yemen and Yerei Hashem, the reply is always Hydu. So then that's four times we shake because for each Hydu is a, another Nanua. And then for two times by Anna Shamashena, and then we say Hydu at the end of. Of the of the of the kahalo. so since we repeat the pasuk twice, that means another two times, which means in total we're shaking eight times. The Arizal says we shake four times, one time at the first hoidu, two times for Anna Hashem, and one time at the last hoidu. And what's the significance of that? So if you saw beforehand, shaking means 18 movements, because it's three times in each of the six directions. And therefore, if one would shake a total of four times according to the Rita, four times eighteen is the gematria of seventy-two, which is the gematria of the word chesed. We're trying to access Akhamish Baruch's chesed, and therefore there's these seventy-two different motions of shaking. And even according to the Minag of Ashkenaz, which is we shake eight times in total, let's just double that. Which means it's two times the, the remes of chesed. The religion to Chesed, but everyone agrees that the amount of times we shake is meant to lead up that idea of we're trying to access Chesed. But now we'll see something fascinating, and that is that there's the concept of shaking in order to access the Bracha and bring it into ourselves, that's the avoider of circus. The way we do that is through the Simcha, through the Halal, but it's not just one min. Dafka we take four different minim. Nurav, Hadassim, Aravis, and Asra. What are these four minim specifically symbolize? So we know Chazal. Chazal tell us that the Nurav represents the spine of a person, Hadassim, a person's eyes, the Aravis, a person's mouth, the Asra, a person's heart. But uh, the result explains something a little bit deeper than that. And that is, if we understand that the, each of these minim which a person holds is symbolizing a certain hashpah, so it's like a certain uh, line through of conduit which is created from a shemayim for bracha to come into oneself, then it's not just one hashpah. There are really four separate hashpahs. And each of these Arab minim forms as a conductor for one of those four kinds of hashpah. And each of them come to a different part of the person and bring with them a different 
uh, a different koyach. Uh, Let's start with the lulav. The lulav, the gematria of the lulav is 68. It's the gematria of the word chayim, life. The first shpah was want to bring the end is the shpah of chayim, the shpah of life. And that's the symbol of the lulav. Why it represents the spine of a person is because where one of the ways where figuratively a person described as being alive or chasis from the opposite is the person's alive can stand up. Whereas in the past, the fact that the person kneels, the person prostrates himself, falls on the floor, the most is a need, there's a reference to him a missing. When death means the person no longer can maintain his height, he crumples to the ground. And then for the roof, which is a person standing upright, symbolizes his symbolizes his alive, and the hashpah of chayim is the hashpah of the lulav, which the person is bringing down to himself. The second hashpah is the hadas. The hadas is the gematria of the word chacham. It's actually one difference, there is explains why. But uh, the concept of the chacham is symbolized by the eyes. The concept of why what a person can see chachma is many times in the psukim. But uh, briefly, it's basically chachma means well, the, the knowledge a person is able to take in, he's able to see from around him, absorb from the outside, and that's symbolized by his eyes. And therefore, the second hashpah a person wants to point down is the hashpah of chachim. That's through the agency of the hadas. The third, the Arava. Um, the Arava is a gematria of the word Zara, which has children. And uh, the reason why it's symbolized by the lips, the reason it's symbolized by the lips, can you read? A person's primary tool of Chilch is how he talks to and educates and strikes his child. So it has the reference to the person's lips of the Arava. That's the third Hashpah a person is bringing down. And it is the Hashpah of Zara, the Hashpah of children. And lastly, the Astro brings his Gematria of Torah. And it makes sense to us that's the Torah Shabbalesh. That's the Torah Shabbalesh of heart. That's the Ashmore of the Torah, which a person brings down, which connects to his heart. And therefore, the idea of the Arab is channeling, accessing all these four different sources of Paracha. And the point of the Na'anuim is to fill the clean, so to speak, which is created for himself. With all these brachas. We'll just finish with one last beautiful point. This is a bracha which we worship to Shavit Naftali, which we're going to read about in this bracha. And then it says, Naftali Svaratan, Mole Birkas Hashem. Naftali was Svaratan, he was happy with what he had, he was Mole Birkas Hashem. The way that a person fools himself, becomes Mole Birkas Hashem, is through the Svaratan, is through the Simcha. Also, that's why the Bible said he's nice in Emre He serves him with his speech at Halal. He sings songs of praise to Hashem. That's in the Halal of how a person gets to be Malay Berkas Hashem. And therefore, the Avodah of Sukkot, the Avodah of Nanum, the Arimim, and all these, not just one general Hashemah, but whether it's Naik, whether it's Tayyar, whether it's Chosen, whether it's Sachachma, his ability to use the Emre Shefer, to use the, 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 the Halal we sing. And the happiness we're feeling as a way of putting ourselves with more labor